Hey, Olive Branch, um, out on my anniversary. And so in this series, this basic series called Cross Training, I want to make sure you get some great information. So I asked my friend and also a staff member here, Stephen Oldham, to bring you the message. As he's coming up to bring you that message, would you welcome him, please? Good morning, Olive Branch. Wow, you're responding. That's good because today is an interactive message. Today we're talking about cross-training, and before we start, I'd like to start with a nice word of prayer so that everything goes according to what God would like us to do today. So let's just pray. Start with the basics. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray you be in this message, Lord. You be with me here today. You be with everyone who came in here today, Lord. Don't let anything in my life interfere with the gospel getting through to people here today. Change the lives, Lord. Change hearts, Lord. Just help us all to focus in on what you want us to do here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're in the middle of cross-training series, uh, so let's see how the scorecard's going. How many of you actually have your, your little insert, your workout card for your spiritual growth card? Does anybody have it here today? Show of hands. Ooh, we got some, some people that brought it with them. That's good. How many people are actually just using it? You're actually engaged in it? A couple of you? Okay. Well, maybe after today we'll have a third thing that you can do, and we'll challenge you more. Well, we're talking about the bare essentials today. We're talking about the core essentials of what it means to be a Christian and to grow spiritually. And so I've dressed up for you for the occasion. This is my best. This is my best workout clothes that I wore today. I followed suit with Craig as we stripped down to the core of what it means to get into the spirit and to work on our faith. I did something a little different, though. I don't know if you noticed. I'm wearing my dog tags. Anyone here ever have the luxury of wearing dog tags before? Show of hands, thank you. Thank you so much for your service. Uh, dog tags remind me of being basic, keeping it basic down to the basics because I earned the dog tags I got, the right to wear my, my, my blood type on my neck <laughs> and my name just in case I forget it because they are worried that I might forget it in the military. But I earned the right to wear that after basic training. And basic training is where you learn the core essentials of what it means to be in the military. So I spent four years in the military, and I learned things I didn't know I didn't know. I didn't know I didn't know how to walk. They taught me how to walk. There's a definitely I was doing it wrong, because they yelled at me a lot until I did it right. Evidently, I don't know how to cut my hair, because they shaved my head, and I didn't get the luxury of growing it back until I earned that right. I didn't know how to speak. And one thing I didn't know I didn't know was how to fold a shirt, You see, the proper way that most people in the military fold a shirt is into a perfect six-inch square. And they go through your your little section there, and they they inspect it every week to make sure that you folded that shirt in the proper six inches. They take out a ruler, and they measure it. And if they don't like what they see, they just chuck it across the barracks. And there's all your hard work across the way. How many of the military have had that experience where they've taken your stuff and thrown it all over the place? It wasn't good enough for them. Well, this funny thing is, I've shared that with different branches. Pretty much all the branches do the same thing. There's something weird about the Air Force or usual. Um, they don't just make you fold it into a perfect six-inch square. Uh, they make you do it with a pair of tweezers. Now, <laughs> I don't know why. You get to fold it right into its shape, and this is this the start. You take the tweezers, and you pluck out all of the sections to make sure that they're in a perfect straight line. So when they put that straight edge right there, all of the perfect fringes come up right to the edge. This is the actual shirt that I wore in basic training. I, heaven forbid, I, I don't think I'll be able to fit into it again. Lord willing, maybe someday in a glorified body. <laughs> <laughs> 
But needless to say, I was told I didn't do it right. And I, for the life of me, it took me a year to figure out why in the world do we do it this way? I think I remember I asked my dad who was in the army, I asked him, do you guys do that? And he's like, no, I don't, I don't think we do that. And I was like, oh, I'm in the Air Force. And I asked, like, do you know why we fold shirts with a pair of tweezers at the end? I'm not sure. So a year goes by, and I'm at Lackland Air Force Base. That's where basic training is for the Air Force. And as I'm there, I notice that I, I, I see my, my drill instructor. So I go up, and I asked him. We were at the Lackland Hospital there, and I was talking with him, and, and we engaging him, and I engaged in the conversation. I wasn't afraid this time because he can't yell at me because now I'm permanent party. I said, uh, Sar- Sergeant Fisher, uh, why the heck does the Air Force fold shirts with a pair of tweezers? And he said something I'll never forget. He said, well... If you can't do the bare essentials, when we don't want you anywhere near the million-dollar aircraft. If you can't pay attention to details, then you can't accomplish the mission. If you can't do the basics, then you can't accomplish the mission. And so we'd rather you experiment on a really, uh, like a five, six-dollar shirt than we would a billion-dollar aircraft to see if you can pay attention to the essentials in order to get the mission done. And the same is true for us here today. We have a mission here as a church. We have an obligation that we're called to. And if we don't get the basics down, we can't fulfill the mission of the church. And that's my first point. So what is the mission of the church? What is it? Let's go ahead and look at a passage, and I need your help. You were energetic before, so let's stick with it, all right? I want you to read this with me. So let's start with Mark sixteen fifteen. I picked the simple one, so we're going to go through a few verses here. So let's start with what is our mission? Mark 16, 15, let's go. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Pretty good. We had to redo it a little bit in the other services. You guys are on top of it. (laughs) All right, so our mission is then to share the gospel and to go, right? Well, what's the gospel? Well, let's look at a verse like, let's look at a verse together, a very common verse. I would like you to read it with me so if you guys can get your voices together. Men, do your your bass voices, I want to hear the men and the women do your regular voices. Those are nice as well. <laughs> so let's lead out. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You're ready? You're doing good. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Next verse. Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sin is death. Good, good. Okay, now this one's a little longer. It's a little longer, so bear with me. So it's actually Romans 10, 9 through 10, but the verse is still the same, so let's go. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. Great job, guys. (laughs) That's probably my favorite one. Don't tell the other services. (laughs) so if we know the gospel well let me just ask you real quick back up do you believe that now today we're going to i'm going to talk mostly to the church i'm going to talk most of those who have been a christian show of hands how many believe that raise your hand you believe in the gospel all right i'm going to talk with a lot of you today if you if you're still having questions about the gospel there's a connections table we'd like to talk to you we'll talk a little bit after the service or before but today i'm going to talk to you church people a little bit more today so we believe that If we know the gospel and the mission given to us by Christ, how are we doing with sharing it with others? How are we doing with that? Now, for those of you who know me, some of you might know I have a background in in 
behavioral science. Uh, that's really prestigious. But really, I just like to ask people questions, and they write them down, and then we put numbers on them. And so it is kind of hard <laughs> to get what people are and where people are experiencing. And at the church, it's somewhat difficult. So one way to do that is just to ask. Ask questions of the church. So I found this study online. I did a little research. There's LifeWay uh, Research. It's the same people that did that app that Greg mentioned last week that about the Bible. LifeWay is a great resource. So if you go to lightway.com, I think it's .com or .org. Um, but they did some research. But the name of this article, a little shocking. Churchgoers believe in sharing their faith but most never do. That's the name of the article now. Now, the article was posted about the research, so let's go ahead and see what the research says. All right, 80% agreed that they had a personal responsibility to share their belief about Jesus Christ with non-believers. Pretty good so far, right? 80%? Oh, by the way, they sampled 2,930 regular Protestant church attenders that attend church on a regular basis throughout the month. Now, 75% feel comfortable sharing their belief in Christ with someone else. So I'm going to ask you that. You already kind of showed me that you guys here affirm in the gospel. We did the first one. Show of hands, brave hands. How many of you believe that, that you, you feel comfortable sharing your faith with other people? A little bit less, but still they're pretty good numbers. All right, let's go on. Let's see. Here's where the news gets a little strange. 61% have not shared how to become a Christian with anyone in the past six months. All right, so maybe, maybe the research, they, they didn't ask into why, they didn't delve into speculation, but they, maybe it was because, you know, they're working on a few people, a couple individuals in the bike, you're having a relationship, you're trying to stir them. It's not always easy to get to the gospel and start presenting it to people. So let's maybe let's scale it back to just the bare basics. So let's look at 48% did the bare basics. 48% in the last six months have not invited anyone to church. Anyone. In the last six months. All right, I need you to be brave. For those of you who raised your hand, in the last six months, have you ever invited anyone to church? There's a few of you, good. Numbers going a little bit farther down. But why is that? Let's go on a little bit more. Is it a hard thing? Well, let's see. Uh, 47% stated that they prayed somewhere between every day and a few times a week for the spiritual status of people who are not professing Christians. 32% did so between once a week and once a month. So about 79% are actively praying. That's a great start, and that's a good place to be. But something is disconnected. Something is falling off, and I wonder what it is. And it's usually something like obstacles. And now the research didn't talk about obstacles, but I looked online at just a few to bear a few and to kind of discuss a few, so I'm going to show a few of those. Number one, the fear of rejection or confrontation. Look, we live in a world that it's not popular to be a Christian right now. At least in America, it's not as popular to be a Christian as it used to be. And so it, it, real relationships are severed when we talk about God. Real things happen when we start getting into the heart of things. And there's a real fear that you're going to lose loved ones. And I've talked to people who struggle when they, become to, they come to the faith later in life and their kids watch them do things that were terrible and they're trying to witness to their kid and they're still trying to keep a connection. It can be difficult. There's a fear of rejection. There's a feeling of inadequate or unqualified to say anything. Some people just, you know, they're not good talkers. There are some of us here that we've been Christians for a long time. This is old hat. Maybe we're just extroverts. We just talk about anything. We'll just keep going about God. We'll talk about the weather. We'll talk about anything. But for others, it's difficult. But it's harder to know what to say. And here's the one that I, that I probably struggle with the most. A sense of awkwardness when trying to share their faith. 
it's hard to work it into a conversation and make it seem natural. It's like, oh, uh, you, you enjoying your lunch? Yeah? Well, that's, that's good. Uh, so do you want Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior? <laughs> what? Never mind. Uh, how, how's your drink? It, it's awkward. It's awkward. You want, oh, I want to feel uncomfortable. So I, I get that. It's, it's difficult to make it seem natural. And the last one, having a hard time fitting it into a busy schedule or life. Some of you have a lot of children. <laughs> Some of you have a lot of family. Some of you are so incredibly busy. You're working so many difficult challenges to overcome throughout the obstacles. You have difficult shifts. You're doing difficult things. And life just gets filled with all these responsibilities. And it just is hard to like, well, how do I add people to our lives? How do I add people to the things that I'm doing in my daily life? So busy. And I get that. That's a struggle. That's a difficulty. And there's many, many more we can go on and on and on about why people have a difficult time and what kind of obstacles. But, but the real question is, how do we move from a have to, because we know we have to because of the Bible, Jesus said so, to a want to, which most of us here genuinely want to, and from want to to I actually do this. So in other words, what helps us move through the obstacles to the point where we're actively sharing our faith with other people? How do we get there? How do we break the statistic? How we, we have the desire, but it doesn't manifest in the actions. How do we go through that? Believe it or not, the problem lies in our eyes. Are in our eyes? Yeah, in our eyes. Today, we're going to take a few eye exams. We're going to check a few things out to see how our eyes are doing. So I know most of you see it from behind me now. How many people have actually seen this before? Raise your hand. Okay, don't ruin it for the people around you that haven't seen it. But I want you to answer for when you first saw it. What did you see when you first saw it, right? So answer with that group. Everybody take a good look at it. Everybody see it? Okay. Who hasn't seen it at all? That was a few of you. Okay, good. This will be good. All right, real quick. Who sees an old lady? All right. Who sees a young lady? Who cannot see the opposite at all? You just don't see it. How many people see both? Good, good, good. See, what this illustrates is something very interesting. How, how we get there is often a matter of perspective, and an illusion is proof that we don't always see what is really in front of us in the right way. So people still looking? Do we see both images? <laughs> First service I went on, and I was looking over the city, he's like going, I still don't see it. I can't hear anything else now. I have to see both images. I have to see it. So if you're still there, I have, you can come up and look at the image. I might be able to pull it up online. We can look at it, and I can show you where it is. But that illusion is proof that we don't always see what's really in front of us in the right way. Some of us see an older lady. Some of us see a younger lady. Some of us can't see the opposite side. We're looking at the same material. We're seeing the same stimuli. We're staring at the same objects, but we're interpreting it a different way. So today I'm going to delve into the Bible here, and we're going to look at another eye exam from Christ himself, from Luke chapter 7, 36 through 48. In the seats in front of you is a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to open that one. It's on page 864 in that Bible. Everybody's turning in their pages. Everybody there? Everybody there? Say, I'm there. A couple people still not there. Who's still not there? All right. Everybody there? Say, I'm there. Okay, that's a little better. I will proceed. So let's look. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house, Jesus went to his house, and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table 
in the Pharisee's house brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, there's something you should know a little bit about in the background of this. If you go to that image next, at the next image, yeah, okay, here we go. Parties in the first century were not like they are now, right? So this, this lady, she's, she wants to come. The one thing you know about her is that she's a sinner. Some commentary says that she's probably a prostitute. Others say that she's maybe a person who, who, who's a, who has a reputation for sleeping around. But either way, everybody knew who this woman was, and she came to the table. But look at this table. This table does not look like our table. In the first century, they didn't eat like we did. They reclined. So for those of you who are artists here who paint pictures, if you're a Christian artist, I, I would just pray that you please make a picture that's accurate to the Bible. There's so many times we're caught in the Renaissance and everybody's sitting around and fine jewelry around one end of the table. Not anything like the first century. And you could see how difficult that is for her to reach him from there. So in the first century, parties were not only just different by that means, they were open to the public. They're more like a block party. And so people could come in that were part of the public and, and watch, the facility, watch the festivities, but what they couldn't do was eat. They weren't allowed to eat with them. They had to sit around the back and watch. And it was kind of a form of entertainment to watch teachers interact as they, as they shared, but you had to sit there quietly. You didn't make an approach towards the table or inter- engage with it. It was just a luxury to be able to, to kind of fellowship with people in that way. And that's how they did it in the first century. So let's go on. Next, okay. Let's go back. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisees had given, had, who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet... He would have known who and what sort of woman who is, is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered saying, say it, teacher. What is he, what is he contemplating in that passage before? He's thinking of Jesus, uh, if this man were a what? And what does he actually respond with? He's demoted Jesus in the turn of a few sentences. Just a few seconds later, he was thinking, well, this might be a prophet. And now he's thinking, well, okay, say whatever you want to say, teacher. So Jesus, in his fashion, goes on to share a parable. And he hears the parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Now, a denarii in that time was about, as a piece of silver, it's about a day's wages. So 500 denarii is nothing to sneeze at. It's almost a year, maybe two years. It's, some commentaries say different things because of the inflation at the time. But we're talking quite a bit of money to have, have, have a debt be forgiven. But there's one quintessential thing here that you, when you see that, when you look at the debtors, they both had one same condition. They both couldn't pay it back. So it doesn't matter whether there's a, a year's worth of debt or a lot of debt. Neither one of them have the ability to pay it back. But one of them was more grateful than the other. Let's go on. And here's where the exam comes in, all right? So keep, keep close watch on, on the perspective change here. So turning towards the woman, he said to Simon. Now, you know you're in trouble when Jesus asks a question, right? You know he's about to get to the heart of a matter. You know he's going to make people think and feel. And he's going to search into the souls of people. So here we go. He says, do you see this woman? What do you mean, Jesus, do I see this woman? She's in the middle of this party. She's interrupting everything that we're doing here. 
do I see her? What do you mean, do I see her? She's right there. Strange things for Jesus to ask. He goes on. I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. You see, she came in and she noticed something. In the, in the, early, in the, in the early century, it was common to have feet that were covered in, in mess. People walked for miles of dirt and dung and animals all over the streets. The, the bare minimum that you could do if someone came over wasn't to give them like, here's some nice cold lemonade or iced tea. It was really to offer them something to wash their feet. It's the bare minimum of what you can offer. And Simon neglects to do this. Jesus goes on and says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, her sins are forgiven. I don't know if you saw it. He who has loved much, for she has loved much, because he who is forgiven little does what? So someone loves much, someone loves little. And here is in where the eye exam comes in. Because at this moment in time, there are two things that you can see in this image. You can, there are two things that you, ways you can look at it. You can look at it the way Jesus looks at this scenario, or you can look at the way Simon looked at the scenario. You see, she had everything to give to God, and the, she, she gave everything to God. She knew where her sins were. She knew what she was forgiven from. She knew that she was a sinner, and she didn't care what anybody thought. She gave everything to Christ. But Simon forgot one fundamental thing. He was a sinner too. And because he wasn't grateful, he didn't see this woman the way God wanted her to see. You see, the real true test of whether we're willing to go out and overcome the obstacles and the fears and, other pe- and, and get, deal with the difficulties of engaging in relationships and getting heartbroken and all these things is a matter of how grateful we are. It's in direct proportion to how grateful we are for what God did for us. See, Simon, he failed the test. Those who are not grateful tend to distance themselves from those they deem below their own level of holiness. See, for Simon, he was like, oh, she's a sinner. She disgusts me. And all of us, we can be real quick to judge, and it's real easy to kind of sit there and go, you know what? Oh, the Pharisees are so horrible. But there's always a group of people that we have a difficult time with. Maybe it's people in business suits for you. Maybe it's people covered in tattoos. Maybe it's a group of people that you just have a hard time communicating with. But whatever it is, there's always this group of distance of people that we kind of want to, ah, oh, they're kind of interfering with my faith right now. They're kind of messing with my faith. Oh, I don't know if I want those people to come into the church. I definitely don't want them to come into my house. They might mess everything up. I'm spending time with Jesus. And it's real easy to just contemplate Maybe I just want to raise the bar a little bit to get the faith going. And sometimes we raise that bar a little bit more. We raise that bar a little bit more and we raise it so high, we ourselves, when we became Christians, couldn't even enter it. We don't leave that open space at our tables for people. And I experienced it myself this week. I'm I'm preparing for the sermon, right? And I go to a restaurant a few times. I I was at this restaurant and I'm preparing for the sermon and I'm just focused on what I'm doing. I'm trying to come here and deliver a message where I think it could change people's lives or try to get focused and try to write everything down. And the waitress comes over and she just says something like, oh, what are you doing? And I just kind of like, for a split sense, like, oh, I just want her to leave me alone and just finish this particular message on reaching people. 
I just need to spend more time focused. You're in my space. Go away. And I felt so convicted because it's like, wait a minute, what's the point of preaching this if I'm not going to do it? How much time did it take? I, I turned to her and I, I started talking to her and we had a conversation. I, I don't know if she's coming. I, I invited her to church, but it's, it's very convicting. How many of these opportunities have I let go by because I'm so focused on what I want? What I want to do, how inconvenienced the world is to me. How many people are walking by that I forgot to be grateful for? And that's really the difference between Simon and this woman. One knows who Jesus is. One knows how much Jesus has sacrificed. And the other one forgot that they were ever saved in the first place. What Jesus' role was in their life at all. So the goal here today is not to walk away with the eyes of Simon, but to walk away with the eyes of Christ and the thankfulness of this woman. There are four things I'd like us to focus on as far as faith is concerned. There's at least four things, at least four. I'm not into like, you know, this is the only list. I'm not writing a book. (laughs) There are many more than four, but four is what we have time for. (laughs) So here are the four. There are at least four things grateful Christians should have when it comes to being effective in the lives of non-believers. Number one, we already talked about it. A grateful faith. Our gratefulness, is our ability to be grateful before God is in direct proportion to how much we care about other people. We realize our state. We realize we're no better than anyone else. And we know what God has saved us from. And we keep that in mind. So I'm going to do the hard thing. Let's go ahead and go to the next question. Take the hard moment. There's a section on your notes that just says notes. It's at the bottom. There's like a gap there. I want you to do this for me. I want you to take a few seconds, and I want you to say, on a scale from 1 to 10, right now in your life, right now in your faith, in your walk, how grateful are you for your own salvation? How grateful are you? And on a scale from 1 to 10, here's the hard part. Does that gratefulness show up at all in the way we interact with other people? It didn't for me the other day at the dinner table. Luckily, God was gracious enough to point it out to me. But I can't imagine how many people I've let go by. Number two, a genuine faith. A genuine faith is honorable, honest, and real. It is humanity redeemed, and it seeks to do good works, good deeds. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your, God, your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, we're not supposed to be perfect. There's this easy thing to get into this. We're going to image. We're going to try and be like a Pharisee. I got to wear the right clothes. I got to have the right parties. I got to do the right things. I got to keep myself away from sinners. And we can get into this kind of like, almost like, a, like an image of what the good Christian is. And we even forget to mention that we're failed, flawed human beings. And it's so easy to do. It's in that redeemed humanity that people see what happens when you fall down and you sin and you turn back to God. And he forgives your sins and you grow closer to him. That's a miracle that people need to see. They need to see our flaws. They need to know that we relate. We're normal human beings that go through experiences that love and care and fall and shake and break. That way when they do accuse us of being bigots and all this other stuff, it's really hard to get past the fact that we're always loving people. That if we're homophobic and we're all these other things, there's like, yeah, these homophobic people are so nice. I can't stand them. Something to consider. Number three, 
an articulate faith. Last week we talked about studying the Bible. I'm going to study my Bible. Oh, so difficult. It is difficult. It's a gift of mine, so I like to study it, so I'm being mean. But we all have that. Some people like to worship. Some people like to do other things. But an articulate faith is one in which, we, which a person knows that one believes, knows what Christ has done in their life, and how to share it with others. If you love somebody, but you never tell them, but you just kind of feel it, and you just feel it, but you don't hang out with them, and you don't do anything, and you don't want to know anything about them, and you don't know how to express it, it becomes frustrating. We have to be able to articulate what it is God did for us in order for people to get it. I, I encourage everyone to do this. I've done this before. Take a moment and write down something that you're grateful for, that God changed in your life, that he did for you, that's in your personal testimony. Take some time. Get aside. Write it down so that when someone asks you, that story is right there because it's in your heart. It's easy to forget. It's very easy to forget. So, but in, in your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord as, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect because that's what it means to be loving. See, Christ could have just said, you know what, you're a sinner, Simon. Bam, you're dead. Party over. Walked away. He would have been within his right to do so. But instead, Jesus engages him with a question, shares a story, tries to get him to change his perspective. He he does so with gentleness. And he knows these people are the very people that are going to crucify him. Number four. And this, to me, is really the heart of which is why I think the statistics are the way they are. Because I genuinely think most of us here want to share our faith and find it difficult to do so. But it's really easy to start having a faith that just kind of, just my friends and encouragement and I need to get through. And that is we need to have a neighboring faith. A neighboring faith is engaged with other people. Is a faith that is in proximity to and involved in the lives of non-believers in a God-honoring, loving, honest way. If we don't hang out with non-believers, if we don't engage with them, if we treat them like pariahs, and we don't make time in our busy schedules, then how are they going to know? If we're just too busy writing sermons about preaching, uh, we don't notice the people around us, how can we shine light? In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I know that's a challenge for some people here, but we have to start asking ourselves the difficulties because it's only in that gratefulness that we're able to really start overcoming the obstacles of not knowing our Bible, being afraid, being accused, falsely testified against, being harassed and losing our friends. It's the only thing that's going to help us through that is to get the one thing right, and that is to be grateful and let that gratefulness compel us to do other things. So before we close, I'd like to do one last thing. I'd like us everybody to close their eyes. I want to do this exercise. I just, I just want you to take a moment to talk to God. Just take a moment and think about where your life would be if it wasn't for God in your life. Think about what you're grateful for. Talk to God. Tell him how grateful you are. Think about what you would be experiencing right now if it wasn't for his grace. If it wasn't for the fact that he came to earth in a very inconvenient way and died for our sins. Jesus is on the cross and he's between two people that decide to have a discussion about faith in the middle of his death. One of them is badgering him and the other one is trying to talk to him. It would have been very easy for Jesus on the cross to be like, I'm dying for everybody's sins. Can, you, can this wait? But God, even in, when he's dying and suffering, turns and affirms one man's faith. That's the God that we serve. 
Keep your eyes closed. Do you, do you feel that? Are you grateful? Do you feel God in your life? Is he speaking to you? I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. Open your eyes. Now look around the room. Do you see the lives? Do you see how he's touched people? Some people, you can feel it in their hearts. You can see them struggling. We just had a worship experience together. It's much better with the music, I know. But it is a worship experience. We all share the faith. We together can tell that story. And that's what we're here to do today. So I want to blow away that statistic here for Olive Branch. I don't want it to be 50, 50%. So I have a challenge for us today. And it's on that card. So we go to the next slide. Now our challenge is to choose one person in your life you can hang out with or already hang out with and continue hanging out with them. You notice that card has a lot of hangout spots. You can hang out here and hang out there and hang out there. But there are three spots on there for inviting people. And that's what I really want to do. I want to let them get to know you and invite them into church with you. That's what I want to do. I want to break that statistics. I want this church to be the kind that just invites people in. So if anyone ever did a poll or conducted something and found out, no, these people like to invite people to church. They're crazy for it. That's my challenge for us today. It seems very simple, but it's sometimes the simplest things that are the most profound. Will you bow your heads with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for dying for our sins. It is in you that we live and move, Lord God, and have our being and all the graciousness that you've given to us, God. But there are people in this world that they don't know you, God. They're here. They may be here with us today. And though we've spent a time talking about the church and what we're doing, Lord, we're still concerned with their salvation as well. So maybe that's you. Maybe you here today and you don't know who God is. You know that you can't do life on your own. You know that you've sinned and you know that you've fallen short of God's glory and you know that you need to be redeemed. You could feel it inside. Well, let this be the day today. If that's you, will you raise your hand? For those of you who are contemplating that in your heart or struggling with it, will you repeat this prayer with me? Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I tried to do life my own way, but please forgive me. I know you sent your son to die to save me from hell, Lord God. But I want you to be my God. I want to start to be grateful from here on out to eternity, Lord. So come into my heart, Lord. I believe it. I confess it. And be my God. Thank you, Jesus, for dying. In Jesus' name, amen.